Hello and welcome to the new Digital Age PMU podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with some of the amazing women that have taken part in the Practice Makes Some Perfect programme. A course developed in association with Amy Keane that helps women find and finesse their public voices. Kelly, hello. Welcome to the PMU NDA studio, aka both our homes. So do you want to kick off by telling you a bit about yourself, introduce yourself, who you are, where you work, a bit about your background, and then we'll kick off talking about your chosen subject. We've just got a lovely title, De-Riddling Privacy for 2021. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me. I'm Kelly Jacobson-Collins. I'm really excited to be here. And I spent the past 24 years working in advertising, tech and media across a range of companies from agencies to corporates and startups. Uh, In 2018, I moved to focus on working in privacy, which I I personally find a really interesting space. And I'm working as a digital privacy consultant at the moment. Um, I'm working with Bliss, the location powered analytics and uh, programmatic company. I'm really fascinated by the convergence that we're seeing between privacy and technology and then the surrounding debate that occurs around advertising and media and digital and how this all plays out in the next sort of year or two, well, and beyond, obviously. Great. It's a fascinating time for, for all things privacy at the moment. There's big macro changes going on Huge. from Google downwards, you know, and obviously the pandemic and the behavioural changes that's engendered. Um, so let's talk about what do you think are the, the biggest challenges when it comes to privacy over the next six months it's hard to I know it's hard to talk in the midst of a pandemic let's assume we're on the way out of that now at last. So yeah it, it, I think ignoring the pandemic we can kind of break it into three areas so you've got uh, company changes uh, you've got policy changes and you've got consumer changes from a company perspective um don't need to spend loads of time on it because lots of people talk about it all the time but obviously the changes that apple make to the idfa and that google make to chrome in the coming months are causing huge challenges to the industry and how particularly uh programmatic works and the way that digital advertising in total works um you also see on a policy level there's quite a lot of changes that aren't talked about as much there's a small thing called brexit where we've had the longest goodbye ever, and our goodbye continues from data protection perspective. So uh, the UK needs to prove it has adequacy against the EU. So that means that it has to prove it has good data protection by law, but also that we don't have surveillance by government. This is kind of where the US has an issue in terms of adequacy. So that's that's looking to come. We want that in the next six months. Um, that has to pass through the EU Commission and through the European Data Protection Board. Um, on another policy level, you've got the e-privacy regulation that's back making its way through the European presidency, which currently sits with um, Portugal. And that, that will, um, we see that in the UK um, in terms of PECA, but there will need to be one holistic um, regulation across Europe. We've also got um, the fallout from Schrems too, which happened last July when the courts of um, justice of the EU ruled that the privacy shield was inadequate. So quite a lot coming in terms of policy. And then from the consumer perspective, I do think there's going to be a bit more of interest from consumers around data protection, particularly as a flow out from the US where I do think that people are a little bit more litigious, I suppose. And what we're seeing there is in the same way as, I mean, we all remember kind of the PPI claims, which were, I think they started about 10, I wanna say about 10 years ago in the UK. in the US you have, and you had companies acting on behalf, in the US we see companies like Privacy B who will exercise your rights for you. Um, and I think that that's gonna see a little bit of a change from there, which may um, 
flood over the pond, as they call the Atlantic, but also um, there's been a launch from of a signal, a new standard called the Global Privacy Control that's, going, that's currently embedded into DuckDuckGo. And that is to replace the do not track um, signal that we currently have. And the idea is that once somebody opts out of selling of their data, that that will be picked up by all of the publishers. So rather than going to each site and opting out, they will have it embedded in their browser. It's obviously small at the moment, it's just on DuckDuckGo, but New York Times has signed a deal, signed the agreement with them. So it will kind of flood out. So there kind of is quite a lot going on, which is why I kind of wanted to not just talk about kind of Prime and IDFA. There's a lot going on. I remember e-privacy, that was the, the next big threat. After it was. GDPR, which GPR sort of came and went and still having ramifications now. But what's happened with e-privacy director? How, how aware should people be? How scared do people be? be I, I think um, we've seen some of the e-privacy. The biggest, for me, in my perspective, from working programmatic, the biggest change that the um, e-privacy director had was the whole area of the consent around the cookie that you couldn't just drop the data identifier onto someone's device without permission. And whereas when the IB first launched framework, you were allowed to rely on legitimate interests. Once PECA, which is the UK adaptation of the directive, sorry, so, so for listeners, a di I want to de-riddle things. So a directive is a suggestion that can be a guidance to be interpreted by local law. A regulation is something that has to go into law as it is, which is what GDPR is, and e-privacy. Um, obviously, it won't just apply to cookies. It applies to the whole way that telecoms and beyond are regulated. That's not an area I know as much about, but I know there's more regulation kind of, you know, it used to rely on how faxes and direct mail and all of that kind of area. But it's more the fact that it's been around, it's actually going to happen um, in the coming months. Fantastic. And also, you talked about, you know, consumer consumer awareness and all these various companies that are there to help or, or penalise companies <laughs> penalising. I mean, we also see lots of research that sort of seems to suggest that in the end, consumers don't really care. There's an issue with the consent forms of publishers and we all just click OK, you know, it's a truism. But, you know, do you think in the end, consumers do really care about their privacy or do they actually realise this, uh, this value exchange that the advertising world is so keen on, uh, you know, supporting and believes all consumers do realise that they gain this free stuff in return for their data? You know, so it's, it's a sort of two-part question. Do consumers really, really care? And do consumers get, get the value exchange? Um, so on the first part, do consumers care? I don't think they fully understand. I think there has to be an education piece. I think that the reason we all kick the cookie banner, um, sometimes I read, you know, being honest, sometimes I read it and think about it. If I'm on a side, I'm not sure about, um, but generally I accept it because I understand the exchange because I work in the industry that the internet is funded by advertising. And I think that consumers don't fully understand that the internet is funded by free advertising. Do they care? Back to your first point. Yes, I do think they do care about their data. But I don't think they really know what their data is. And I think that is an education piece by the government. I mean, my the one that I was doing some research around some statistics, my favourite funny stat was some research done by Dashlane, which is a pass, password manager in the US, a bit like um, LastPass, if you've ever used that. Yeah, well, I used Dashlane. Yeah, so they discovered, and I'm not sure who they surveyed, if you were in the group, that up to 40, well, no, you wouldn't be, up to 40% of Americans were willing to give up sex for a year in, in return for better <laughs> online security. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously, it's a great headline, but... Good headline, yeah. Good headline. 
it's a survey, but it's it does show that some people care. Obviously, God knows who they were surveying, but people do care about security, and security is part of the data protection. So it's about who's looking after your data and is it stored securely, and could someone then do something with that data that is detrimental to you? And it's about harm, you know, data protection. Could that the release of that data harm you in any way? Okay, let's move on to the second part, really, uh, which I love is how do we have to change how we talk about privacy that's your sort of that's your thesis as it were do you think we have to talk change the talk privacy and again do, do advertisers need to change how we talk about it? do publishers need to change how we talk about it? or you know if so who does need to change how's the language need to change i think that all of the above need to change and it's about maybe where the responsibility i think the responsibilities end up being passed to privacy activists who then privacy activists who then pushing it forward because the government creates that legislation and people don't know consumers don't know and right the government creates legislation for good reason right private privacy is a fundamental right it's you know baked in if you head back in law to the united nations declaration of human rights that's the first time we're all given the right to privacy and that's obviously evolved massively into data protection but people Legis people legislate based on what consumers need or require or to protect them. But then the education piece, the ICO has, for example, in the UK has huge amounts of information, but the people who go to that site are generally companies working out how to protect themselves as opposed to people um, trying to keep their data safe. So I think it is up to companies. I mean, funny enough, I think the education is starting now in schools Like we didn't know. I mean, I didn't even have the internet when I was little, obviously. Um, you know, people are understanding better, you know, funny enough, um, you know, we were talking before we came onto the podcast about homeschooling. My son's lesson today is around internet safety and phishing and stuff like that, and he's nine. So I think his generation will know more and want more control over their data. And um, we do need to teach them. I think some people are doing a good job in terms of making it clear I, um, I think the Guardian when you I don't know if you land on the Guardian they're really good about kind of saying look we need your information if you want to keep reading this and this is the amazing job we do and the reason we need you to log in or the reason we want you to help fund us is because we won't be able to do this if you don't contribute by either sharing your data with us or sharing your money with us so I think that they do that kind of in a in a good way but I think in general the internet as a whole probably not no so how about I think you're right? I, I love the Guardian. I'm a Guardian loyalist, and they do look really well. They, you know, educate well. So, how, what would you like to see in terms of other publications, other publishers, other advertisers? What would you like to see over the next year, and how we all shift in changing our language? I think it's about thinking about who you're talking to. I mean, people, I know it's very difficult because you're not going to have huge amounts of money to fund your privacy policy, you know, privacy policy. But when people talk about, you know, thinking about the end user and how the message should be delivered, you know, does everybody, you know, does everyone want to read a long policy? Could you not do an audio summary? Could you not do a video or an explainer? You know, the ICO does have one on their website. You know, you can click through and it says, this is what why we process your data. And it's simple, um, animation that explains why um i was sharing with someone the other day that i love when you land on if you don't know if you ever use dictionary.com or thesaurus if you're ever stuck for words <laughs> as a person their cookie banner their cookie uh, control banner at the bottom um pretends that it's an, another definition and translates privacy does the whole i can't think of the way that you call describing the way someone says a word for you know the phonetics of how you say privacy or privacy depending yeah. on and also gives a definition and it just says this is our brand this is what about we're about words and this is what privacy is for us and, and then click through and read more i think 
that it would be great if all companies thought about their audience and did it better. I think there are some, some direct-to-consumer companies do it well. You know, they, they summarise it. You know, you can go on to um, Marks and Spencer's and in their privacy centre, they explain, like, these are the places we pick up your data and this is why and this is what you need to know. And they simplify it. And, of course, they have a full privacy policy. Um, but I think, you know, as I, when you talk about the industry, I'm very conscious when I'm talking to you now that I think about privacy and it's my day job day in day out and these words and the rulings and are things that I think about all the time if I say them without defining them or explaining a bit for most people they're not going to know what I'm talking about and I think that's just something that we need to put into everyday language clearly not if it's a group of privacy professionals but I think if a lawyer is in a room with a commercial group of people or if I'm sitting on a podcast and talking about SHREMS and um, CPRS uh, CPRA then I need to define those for people otherwise it's just waffle mm, very true but you mentioned the ico and obviously the ico i mentioned well i mentioned gdpr the ico was was a, a huge worry for most people in our industry it went quiet over the pandemic you know announced that it wasn't but then recently i think the last two or three weeks it announced we're coming back yeah you know, i'm back after you uh you say if you're in the, especially in the ad tech and obviously you spent all your career in ad tech the ico's back it wants to make sure that you know people are uh, doing what they should do. Uh, so how how worried should people be by that fact? The IPL is, is no sort of reopening this investigation, as it were, into ad tech, or should people be doing the right thing anyway? I think a lot of companies are doing the right thing. And I think I was, um, in a previous company, I was sitting on one of the working groups for the IAB that was looking at the response to the ICO. And the work they've been doing is, is fantastic. You know, thinking of it from every, thinking of it from every angle in terms of the law and the ICO, but also thinking about what is achievable for all companies in our tech. You know, what's achievable in terms of due diligence for Google or Facebook isn't the same for a really small startup. You know, they can't necessarily become have a certified security standard like an ISO. You know, that's just not financially viable for them. So I think that. We should sit up and think, but I also think an investigation like the ICOs into ad tech rids the industry of bad actors. And I think that that is a really positive thing for all of us, because I think if there's bad actors, it means that advertisers worry about ad tech and where their money's doing going and think about the whole flow of data through the system and where their money's being spent. And I think that sometimes, you know, consumers, um, as a result of the bad actors, will worry about kind of where what, who's advertising to them and what's going on as well. So I think we should be concerned and we should respond collectively. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's end on a sort of positive note because it's it's almost spring, the pandemic, <laughs> so, uh, all that great stuff. Uh, so what, what are you most excited about or heartened about in the coming sort of six months a year when it comes to privacy? You know, what gives you most hope that we're going to get, you know, do the right things we're talking about? I think from, from me, it's from, from, from my perspective, I've had a lot of worry in the back of my mind about Brexit personally and what that means and whether we would get adequacy and that's like a massive deal obviously if suddenly there was no adequacy and we had to stop all the data in the UK and not let it go into well the data can flow from the UK sorry we couldn't bring any of the data from the EU into the UK that would just slow businesses right down and how do you how do you manage that so I'm really I feel very positive that that's going to um, be taken that worry will be taken away I'm also excited that um, the regulation for the EU will be done and we'll know that'll be harmonious I know this is probably not that exciting for other people in terms of privacy, but I think that these are big changes. And I like, although some people would look at um, this global privacy control from that's coming from DuckDuckGo as a question mark, you know, or, you know, it's 
some of the people funding will be privacy activists and not everyone in the industry thinks that that's the right way to go. But I personally think that really, really empowering consumers is, is a good thing. And I think harmon, harmonizing the way that they can respond is a really positive thing. So they're the things that I feel really positive about at the moment. Um, God knows whether, when we'll find out what's happening with Chrome and the sandbox and all those birds that everyone's obsessed with. <laughs> but yeah, I feel more positive about the, uh, the lawmakers. Fantastic. Well, that's a lovely, positive document spread. So, Kelly, thanks so much. It's great to start the second tranche of PMU podcast with you. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you for having me so much. Take and care. thank you for listening. Goodbye.